Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Brian Bogert about the hurdles that businesses should be planning for post-pandemic. Brian Bogert, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm super excited for the conversation. Today, we're going to be exploring what hurdles uh, business should be paying attention to for post-pandemic recovery. We'll talk about hurdles kind of generally. I think we all face those in life, don't we? We all face our personal hurdles and organizations all face their hurdles. Uh, I think right now we're within this, this pandemic context that's unique and uh, has been particularly challenging to a lot of people and to a lot of organizations. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be able to come out of this sooner than later and go through that post-pandemic recovery. But there's certainly going to continue to be a lot of challenges that we face as we do so. So that's what we're going, going to be exploring together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Brian's bio with everybody. Brian Bogert is a human behavior and performance coach, speaker, and author who teaches clients to raise their level of awareness and intentionality to become who they are already are, their most authentic selves. Brian helps executives, entrepreneurs, athletes, and growth-minded individuals learn this transformative approach that cultivates perspective, motivation, and direction to help them align their life with their true desires and defy their own expectations. He teaches how to embrace pain, to avoid suffering, and guides individuals from avoiding pain to accepting it. Brian believes this approach helps others achieve purpose, joy, and freedom. And I completely agree. I think that's wonderful. That's beautiful. I'm excited to explore all this with you. Before we launch into the main conversation for today, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background, personal context, or anything about your story that you think would be helpful? Yeah, I do think it would be helpful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually ask you to humor me for just a second, and, and all the listeners as well, unless they're driving, to just close your eyes for one second. I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, Walking outside as you get through the checkout line, breezing out with your day with a little pep in your step. You look up, you feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, the breeze of the hair, uh, breeze through your hair, and you go on to fumble with your keys to open your door and go on with your day. And as you're standing there trying to open the door, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And as we went back to the car, I was, of course, there first because I've always had an excitement bigger for life. But this was back in the days before key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to catch up and literally unlock the door. As she did so, a truck pulled up in front of the store, parked, driver and middle passenger get out, and the passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So Jonathan, he did what any one of us would do, scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard, and before you know it, he was catapulting 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at us with no time to react. Went up and over the tree in the median, hit our car, knocked me over, 
ran over me diagonally, tore my spleen, left the tire track scar on my stomach, and continued on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So there I was laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. They look up and see my arm laying 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw the whole thing happen. She saw the literal life and limb scenario because there was a nurse that walked out of the store and saw the literal life and limb scenario. And I'm forever indebted to her for choosing to go into action instead of turning away for the, for the rest of the day. She came over, stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life. And then instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler and get my arm on ice within minutes to save my limb. So Jonathan, had she not done one or both of those, I either wouldn't be here with you today or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. So it's obvious to say, I know a little bit about hurdles in life. Um, but I, what I want to also say is that I'm sure that you and the listeners were not expecting it to go there anyway. <laughs> I, uh, I know I've got a very unique story, but the more I've done this, the more I realize that we all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause to become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and become intentional in how do we apply them in our lives. So I'll share with you two quick lessons, and then we're going to freestyle on the rest of it. These both, by the way, relate to overcoming hurdles. I learned not to get stuck by what had happened to me, but instead get moved by what I could do with it. And the second, I didn't realize until far later, at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was the one having surgeries. I was the one doing the therapy, but I was being guided through the process. And so I, I was kind of in a fog. My parents were not. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of physical therapy, and the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether intentional or not, what they did was ingrained in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. You said that in my bio, but that's where we also gain freedom. So it's these two concepts that we've used to not only overcome this unique injury, how my business partners and I scaled our last business to over 15 million in the span of a decade, and now how we flipped it on its head to be able to help individuals and organizations, just like you, just like people listening, get back to the core of who they are. I believe when we do this, that's when joy, freedom, and fulfillment can enter into our lives holistically. And that's what gives people to stand on their own two feet, not only confident, but convicted in who they are and standing on their own two feet, knowing that the world won't just accept them, but embrace them for who they are. That's why we're on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2045 through our four entities. Well, I, I love all of that. Thank you so much for sharing um, what a, a horrific experience. I can't even begin to imagine um, not only the, the incident itself, but the aftermath and just the, the long uh, recovery that it must have been. And, and I imagine there are still persisting challenges that you face to this day due to something that happened so, so long ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the reality is, uh, perhaps in less dramatic fashion, but we all face hurdles. We all face mm -hmm. things that, uh, that impact us our entire lives. And and we get to choose how we're going to respond to those right. challenges, right? And I don't say that to minimize anyone's pain. I don't minim I don't say that to to uh, you know try to tell people that they need to just bottle up you know any any of the negativity that they feel and suppress it. That's not healthy. But we we definitely need to work through those challenges. We need to work through the difficulties that we face, and then learn from it, grow from it, and and springboard off of it into future opportunities. And yeah. clear, clearly, that's what you've done, and that's what you and your team have done, and that's super um, inspirational and just a, a really great uh, life lesson, I think, for everybody as we try to grapple uh, with you know those types of challenges that we face in our everyday lives. So as, as you think about um, those experiences and that, that fed into uh, what 
you've done in, in your career. Uh, how has that continued to launch you into where you're at today? Clearly, you have you, you it, it is it has impacted your framing your worldview, your desire to help others and, and to impact so many people in positive ways. Uh, that is all wonderful. That's beautiful. What else do you gain and learn from those experiences and others in undoubtedly that you've experienced throughout your life that feed into how you're going to continue as you go through your career to build off of the challenges uh, and create your own positive future. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, my whole core philosophy on embrace pain to avoid suffering is wrapped up in that entire question, right? What I, what I learned a long time ago is that pain and perspective both point us at what's important if we're choosing to listen. And so I have had multiple moments of experiencing pain, right? Both in all mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and even perceived. And I've had to move through that in a very systematic way, but allow myself to have enough perspective to recognize where I need to head. So a lot of this stuff is rooted in awareness and intentionality in everything that we do. But literally, I mean, I, whether it's when I shut off physical pain, I shut off emotional pain for almost 30 years, which didn't allow me to enter into the world with empathy and compassion and truly have human connection, which is something that I fought so viciously for, right? I had created mental narratives in places in my life that bit me right? In particular, the first one that bit me was when I was 20 and rebroke my arm and almost lost it again and went 10 months with it hanging by my side. I had to relearn and understand like the narrative I'd created about how strong and tough I was, was also why people weren't there because they bought into my narrative and I didn't have the courage to ask for help, right? So focusing on human connection was this next venture in my life, had to understand that, unpack that. And that was being done through all of our philanthropic efforts, through the scaling and growing of our last business and really understanding what these are. But then I realized at some point, right, that it was a strategic and tactical solution that I was providing to human connection because, oh, by the way, until I discovered emotion, human connection without emotion isn't really human connection. And so it has fed my life in so many ways because I think that all of the pain and all of the perspective that I've experienced has allowed me to focus on what's most important on not only who I am, who I'm doing this for and who I'm impacting, right? It allowed me at one point in my life to sit back and recognize that the narratives of the world are to taste the what? What house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, what amount of business scaling can we accomplish? And I did that. I accomplished all of that. And I realized as I'm sitting there running with people making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases, that all of us were miserable because we'd lost the who to chase the what. And so I went through a systematic process of really starting to unpack these things for myself in combination with my own experiences through pain and perspective to truly get back to the core of who I was because I'd lost it at some point. And what I realize now, and this is why I believe this is such a core part of our message, is today, at this point, everything in my world, all the what's in my world, are a manifestation of the who, not the other way around. So I genuinely believe that we need to help people understand at the core exactly who they are, live with permission on understanding what that looks like. Because, oh, by the way, I understand what it's like to be the only one in a room to look and feel a certain way. Right? I understand what it's like to be isolated and viewed to be not worthy and not capable of accomplishing something because of how other people were viewing me through their own lens on the world. Right? And so when we understand these things, all of it is ingrained, not just in my personal journey of overcoming hurdles, but my professional ones as well. So everything in these hurdles has honestly shaped my life to where it is now and continues to shape my life. I've been through significant hurdles in the last six months. Some of the greatest amount of emotional and physical pain I've ever experienced were in the most recent six months. And guess what? I still had to go through them. 
So I'm not a believer yeah. that like we shut these things down, but that's the never the world is to reduce, eliminate, or avoid our pain, right? Shove our emotions down, show up and move. But the reality of it is what I've learned is that we actually have to feel in order to heal. And everything that's rooted in human connection is based in four things. People feeling safe, feeling, people feeling protected. Those are not the same. People feeling seen and understood and people feeling connected. That's all rooted in the who. That's all rooted in people. So it's who before what, people before profits. These are the same philosophies that are all embedded in everything we do with embracing pain to avoid suffering and, and you name it. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. With, with all of that context, all that background, which is wonderful, let's uh, transition a little bit now and talk more specifically about the pandemic and post-pandemic. Yep. Yep. What are the challenges that you see uh, coming down the pipeline that uh, successful leaders will face post-pandemic? And how should we be planning currently for that post-pandemic recovery? Yeah, I think so. Similar to even the way I just wrapped that last thought, I think that we're having an awakening in our society right now that is rec recognizing that the era of what is and profits are ending and the era of who and people are entering. There's going to be a divide and, and, and something that's going to be a little bit interesting, particularly in the corporate world. Um, but you're, really what happened is 15 months ago, 16 months ago, people were knocked out of autopilot, right? For the first time, globally, we were knocked out of autopilot. We were operating in the unconscious. People would go through the routines of the day, building their businesses, right? Go to work, not know how they got there because the commute was the same every day. So they're knocked out of autopilot, reanalyzing who they are and what's important to them in their lives, which is also why we've seen so much pain because people weren't prepared for it because everything else in their world, they were numbing. Simultaneously, the other thing that happened alongside that is that for the first time in human history, the richest of the rich, the leaders of these multi-billion dollar organizations were leveled at the same playing field with their frontline staff. Everybody was confined to operating through Zoom in their living rooms and their homes for a period of time as everybody was isolated. So it brought a whole different experience to people understanding what it looks like in individuals' worlds by seeing inside their homes, their worlds, their lives in a way that's never happened in human history globally at the same time. Now, we're moving through that. But what I anticipate that's going to happen as a result of it is we have not even really started to begin true re-entry right? It depends on where you're at in the country or where you're at in the world. 
But what's happening right now is there's various stages of people still being in isolation and people still starting to re-enter into the world. Again, vaccinations, masks, whatever. I'm not trying to make this polarize and politicize. It's just what's happening. Like there is a divide in a belief system on how do we re-enter. That's going to cause conflict. And again, going back to the human experience, people are in a lot of cases not feeling safe, not feeling protected, not feeling seen and understood, and not feeling connected. And so there's a lot of isolation that's taking place that virtual worlds are sort of closing the gap on. But again, our organizations, our cultures are going to be different. We're going to have workforces truly in a remote capacity, probably forever for a lot of organizations, where we won't have the same ability to build culture while, while feeding off each other's energy together. So I think one of the greatest challenges is a combination of where and how will our people look over time? Like who will we need in our organization to impact who we want to as a result of whatever product, service, or good we offer through a business, right? How do we establish and build trust with our own people internally when they're all remote? We know that leadership styles have to change and evolve to interact with people in a virtual capacity. We've all adapted to this, but it's also been through the lens of we're going to go back to normal at some point. That's not going to happen. There's going to be a blended normal at every moment moving forward. So leadership has to understand how to change. And what we've seen is a significant gap that existed in communication because we were relying on the nonverbal communication to communicate so much of what we did. So Zoom in the first six months exposed strong communicators versus people who were just saying something but didn't really have anything to say. And so from a leadership perspective, people are starving for authentic leadership when all of a sudden we're seeing leaders in their homes and all of a sudden we're seeing that we can't rely off their natural charisma and energy, but that the words that come out of their mouth don't communicate and connect in the same way in a virtual world. Guess what? That changes the dynamic of how people want to run through walls for their leadership. So we've got to understand and anticipate environments that are going to help people feel safe, protected, seen, understood, and connected. And we have to do that through a way that we can establish trust and culture through better communication in a virtual world. You know, Brene Brown has a beautiful quote, and she says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. How much is being missed in our current world of communication? 7% of our communication is consumed in the words that we communicate. 38% is in the way that we communicate it verbally, the tone, the vocal connotation, the cadence, right? So that's 45% of communication. 55% has to do with energy and body language transfer. We're missing over half of our ability to connect and communicate with people simply because of the world that we're in. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible because a lot of people can still get a lot done virtually, but where are we fostering environments for people to truly be able to communicate and connect if we're missing over half of the way we typically communicate. And we already know that in the world where we were together, we were still missing large amounts of communication. That's gonna be our greatest challenge moving forward is how do we foster those environments for people to feel those things so they can be authentically who they are to serve the best way possible to, to perpetuate the mission of whatever organization they're a part of, to serve the people on who you're impacting, but also to make sure that we can establish leadership, culture, and connection internally to make sure that we can do that authentically as, as, as business moving forward. Yeah. And all of what you just described is challenging in the best of circumstances. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> creating a dynamic, psychologically safe, healthy, engaging culture uh, in a physical workspace where people are together. Very hard. It's very, very hard to do. That's why people like you and I have the work that we do, right? Because people need help with that. Uh, it's, it's very hard to do. Most people don't, you know, naturally come by that skill set. Uh, and 
it just gets exacerbated though when all of a sudden everyone's working That's virtually. Right. And so so now over the past 16 plus months or whatever, so many people have been predominantly virtual or in some sort of hybrid kind of a modality of, of connecting with each other. And it's it's great that we have the technology. It's great that you and I can be, you know, talking through a screen together right now, having a great conversation. But there is something missed there. There's something that is different than when we're together, as you just described. And so we absolutely need to recognize that something that was already challenging is going to be even more challenging moving into the future. It is. Uh, more and more people have now become used to and comfortable with the idea of remote work. That's right. Whereas, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, there were surveys out there, you know, asking people, people liked autonomy and flexibility, and that fed into work schedule and that uh, fed into, you know, the ability, for example, to work remotely on occasion. But most people didn't say they wanted to work remotely. Um, there were pockets and, and certain demographics, there were, you know, a greater um, number than others. But for the most part, people wanted to be together physically, yeah. they wanted to be in the workplace. That has changed. <laughs> After, oh, which is why reentry is going to be so difficult, because yes. there's going to be some organizations that say you have to come back. And there's gonna be certain people that are like, well, there's enough employers that won't make me. Exactly. That's changed. People have, have grown um, used to the technology and to the experience of not having a commute, not, you know, not having all that structure around their day where they have greater levels of flexibility and autonomy and, and taking care of all the aspects of their lives and fitting in work whenever they can. Um, people are used to that. And, and so it's not just going to go back. Hybrid work, I think, will um, be the new name of the game. And I, and I think organizations are going to have to figure out how to be flexible and, and adaptive uh, with all of that. But ultimately, like you said, if companies just flat out say you have to come back, you know, and this it's going to cause divide and conflict. Yeah. yeah. In, in this labor market, people have choices. So people will, if they really want to work remotely or at least the flexibility to work remotely often, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll go somewhere else and you're going to create you know, there's going to be assist, uh, yeah. uh, elements within organizations of conflict, like you described, kind of first tier, second tier employees and organizations yeah. that could emerge. There's all these things that ultimately and, and, could cause challenges. And by the way, none of it's good or bad, right? As I talk about is. it just is. It's, it's, not, it's not to say that anybody needs to lean one direction or another, right? And I mean that both at the employer and the employee level. Truthfully, like I, I, I'm such a believer, again, with focusing on the who, that it's about finding in this new flexible environment that we're going to have, what is best for you? And, and accept that that's okay. Why we talk about it with such passion and understanding the conflict is because we got to prepare for it. We have to anticipate, hey, is our philosophy and culture going to be that we want people to have that flexibility in the hybrid model? They can be remote. Can they be back? What are we prepared for in conflict or divide in our communication ability in each di different level? So I want to be really clear that for me, when we talk about this, it's not to give an opinion on what's good or bad. It's just to say that as we talk about with hurdles and conflict, these are things we have to consider. We have to be talking about. And if you're not already talking to your people about this now, you're probably behind the boat. Yeah, it's, it's not good or bad. It just is. It's just yeah. the, the reality that we're in. And we're just going to have to figure out how we're going to navigate it. And one thing that I have seen, uh, perhaps it's dissipated a little bit over the course of the last 16 plus months, um, but I, I have seen a particular, particularly early on that many leaders, the, the most successful leaders in this transition and this COVID and pandemic environment were those that were able to authentically connect and show genuine empathy and compassion towards 100%. their people. And, and people have expected that more and more. Whereas 
you know, in the past, you know, and people had their jerk bosses and people, you know, may, maybe they don't love the, um, their boss, but they just kind of put up with it. Eh, now, are they going to yeah. be willing to put up with that? I'm not so no. sure. I'm not so sure. No. And I think, I think honestly, environments that operated off of toxic shame and those types of negative emotions to motivate their people are going to really struggle moving forward. Because when people aren't in the environment and they're in their own, although you're still going to impact them in a way that you may motivate them by those negative techniques, but the reality of it is, is like, they're also not going to put up with it for as long because they don't have to, when they're sitting in their own home, they're like, I'm not, I don't have to do this. So I 100% agree with you. What's interesting though, is again, that supports the point. We have an awakening moving from profits towards people. Leadership are recognizing that nothing in business will happen without people. I don't know how we lost sight of that, right? We did lose sight of that at some point right? Is that it's like, oh, we can systematize things and put technology in place. And what we realized, even in this world where we go virtually, guess what? There's a lot we can't. And that's okay, right? And so for us to be able to surrender to the fact that it's like, we're evolving in a way that's really going to get back to the individual and the flexibility and living lives that will be filled with more autonomy, joy, freedom, and fulfillment. Like as employers, the earlier we embrace that and recognize that our culture is shifting that way, it's already shifted that way. It's a matter of like, how are we going to keep up and how do we want our culture to align with that? But like, that's the thing, man. Nobody's going to put up with it because a toxic shame-based environment, you need literally the environment to condition that and pattern in the behavior. And you cannot, I mean, you can deploy toxic shame virtually, but the reality of it is, is when you get into that environment, at some point, somebody's going to turn their screen off because they don't have to listen to it. Whereas when they're around 50 other people who are all absorbing that same type of toxic shame leadership, guess what? The whole crew is kind of doing the same thing, just trying to protect. But empathy and compassion is the only way, truthfully. So those that survived, those that demonstrated that, guess what? Those are also the organizations and leaders that have thrived in this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, it has just been a real pleasure. The time has flown by. I I notice... Uh, that we're about to the end of our time. I want to be respectful of your time and let you get on to the rest of your day. But before we close, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, so uh, you can reach me at Bogert Brian or at brianbogert.com. Um, both are good places. So at Bogert Brian's on any social platform. What you'll notice when you go there is we create a lot of free content. We don't do that with like click funnels and baits and, and click to actions at the end of it right? Like the reality of it is, is we want to impact a billion lives and 99.9999999999 will never pay us a dollar. We're very okay with that. So the one request I'll ask, and then we'll, we'll just kind of do this together. But the one request is because we do that, I want to be really clear. I'm not asking for help around vanity metrics. The only way we get to a billion is through collective impact. So if you ever consume anything that you see from us, it resonates with you and it moves you. All I'm asking is if you can like, comment and share. And oh, by the way, if you don't do that on social and you just show it to a friend virtually, Again, I don't care about the metrics. I care about the message being perpetuated because if it moves you, one thing I can guarantee is that move people, move people. And so when we look at how do we overcome hurdles moving forward, keep in mind, moved people, move people. So if you're a leader or you're just an employee or you're a business owner, if you're looking at how do we move through this next period of time, how do I move myself so that I can move people so that we can go have the impact on the people that we desire? If we do that and we all focus at hurdles that way, that we're better together, how do we unify, gather perspective to point us at what's important? We will all be thriving before too long. Wonderful. Well said, Brian. It has just been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected, find out more about what Brian and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe. 
that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.